So we've been for many weeks, like since the beginning of September, it's a long time ago now, we've been thinking about Jesus and who he was and what he was about and all the things that sometimes go, uh, sometimes go unnoticed or sometimes we forget about the person that we follow and stake our whole life upon. And so we've been talking about all sorts of things, but he- here we are now at... Uh, Palm Sunday, which is the day we celebrate Jesus riding into Jerusalem for his last week on a donkey. And we know that at the end of that week, he gets brutally murdered, killed, and, um, and put into a tomb. And so uh, this, is, this is the week that we kind of prepare our hearts for the week ahead. You know, you know this is 2,000 years later. But somehow, mysteriously, year after year, Christians have chosen to remember this particular climax of Jesus' life. And so uh, this is Palm Sunday. This next week is Holy Week. We call it Good Friday. This next Friday, we're the day that Jesus, we remember the day that he died. And then Sunday is Easter, where we celebrate that his death It wasn't at all the end of the story, and something much deeper was going on all along that if we had eyes to see and ears to hear, we could could see. So um, that's where we are in in the mix of it all, and today I'm going to begin with the triumphal entry uh, and then take us all the way up to the the, uh, story of the cross, Uh, and we'll finish, finish off there today, particularly because if, if perhaps maybe you and your own personal spiritual life have gotten a bit lazy or fallen asleep or um, need to uh, remember who God is, this is like the week to get back in the scriptures, to read the story once again of Jesus and his, his death for us. And so my, uh, I'm going to do this in a way that, um, that encourages us to not just finish off Palm Sunday, and then don't think about God until next week, the greatest day in all of history. Uh, but just to spend this week, and my encouragement is to you is to spend this week um, taking what I have to say here and, and making, making it your own in ways. Um, in particular, what, what I want to do today is as we approach the crucifixion, I want, I want to do two things. I want to just remind us of who he is. So, you know, we have Jesus on the cross, and then we have Jesus, the teacher and the healer, and I want us to see if I can draw a picture together, a full picture for us, to, as we look upon the man hanging upon the cross, that we can remember all of who he is. So I'm going to do that a bit today. And then once we, once we get a fuller picture of, of who he is and reminding ourselves who he is hanging on the cross, then what do we do with that? Sometimes I struggle. What do I do with Jesus on the cross, do I feel sorry for him? Do I feel guilty? Like, what, what's my right response? And so uh, I've been talking for many weeks about a thing that I've been calling uh, baptismal spirituality, which is a big fancy way to say that Jesus' teaching all along has been, if, if we've been listening to him, he's been saying things like, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to go through? And he's talking about his death. And so baptismal spirituality is a way to say, how can we stay awake in our lives day in and day out to this most uh, powerful moment in all of history? So 
we'll get into that. Uh, but first, just to, get, to remind us a little bit, uh, to draw together, I mean, this, this is many months, so it's October, November, December, January, February. This is like month eight of being with Jesus, and so it would be easy to forget uh, all the things we've talked about. And so I'm going to do a little recap to help us remember who he is. The first thing I started out with was this picture and, and reminding us that, um, that even though sometimes we might think we remember Jesus, uh, that oftentimes we forget. And one of the things that he said at the center of his ministry was, blessed are those who take no offense in me. It's the first point that I, I invite people who want to understand and love Jesus to remember. He's like, just so you know, I'm not totally kosher. I'm going to offend you. If you're really listening to me, you're going to get offended by me. Uh, and, and so the first point is, is that blessed is anyone who doesn't take offense. And, and we get from that that it's easily to get offended. And when we do, remember, when we get offended by Jesus, it's super easy to just kind of remake him in our own image. We, we, we think, okay, well, if Jesus offends me in this way, I must be, must be not understanding him well. And so we begin recasting him until all he basically does is tell us everything we want to hear about ourselves. Uh, and that's what we can do. And, that's, and then we get to the cross, and we look at the cross and the offense of the cross, and we sometimes don't know what to do with it, and so we just sort of kind of make it softer, I think, or don't even look at it. And, and uh, what we need to do is remember that um, to fully understand and to fully get the power of Christianity, I mean, Christianity has power. It has power to free us and to inspire us, and to change the world. And yet, oftentimes, we just sort of hover on the outside of that as if Jesus is like a house that when you go into the center room and you go further in and further into him, everything makes sense, and lives, our lives get changed, and the power of the gospel becomes real. And sometimes we just hover on the outside of the house just thinking, well, I think I'm close enough, right? And so... Um, our experience with the power of Christianity depends on us getting into the inside of the mind and heart of this man. And I've talked about Jesus being so much more. Jesus is so much more than we often imagine. And my hope for all of us as we've done this work, as we've gotten into the inside of Jesus' mind and heart, is that we might find healing that we might be freed. He has the power to free us. So what, what is it? And I've, I've encouraged us to think through our lives. What is it that holds us captive in our life? Is it greed? Is it maybe some form of self-hate? Is it some form of addiction, perhaps? Like what is it that pulls us and grips us and pulls us down? Um, Jesus can free us from this. Um, but freed for what? Once we get freed, what do we do? Freed for discipleship. Free to follow him, free to help him and join him healing the world. And so, uh, remember, this is the guy who we're following. And I've said he's more like a campaigning politician than a religious leader. He's a campaigning politician who knows that he's going to win. He's, and he's going around celebrating his win in all of Israel. He says, I'm going to represent the God of the universe. See, this is like crazy talk. He's like way out there. But if he's right, it changes everything. Uh, he's going around healing. He's got the power to heal. And at the center of it, at every point we talked about him healing, that he's, he's doing something like the forgiveness of sins. 
And what, what he means by this um, is that your whole life, I mean, I'm gonna, he, he can heal physical infirmities and he can raise people from the dead, but what he's after ultimately is that your whole life be healed and transformed. Uh, and then there's the hard teachings. And that we realize that the hard teachings are just about our healing as well and transformation. He's not willing to just pat us on the back and sort of let us feel good about ourselves if we're, if we're off base or if we're uh, stuck in uh, patterns of, of slavery. Uh, and so he says, he says, at the center of my teachings, at the hard teaching to free you, don't go around in your daily life looking to be served. Don't go around looking for people to, to serve you. Go around asking time and time again in every instance, how can I be a servant? And he says, don't go around being lost and caught in vindictive hostility. It's just going to ruin yourself and you're going to ruin others. He says, forgive, radical forgiveness. And when people hurt you and let you down, he said, and when the, the church community fails you, don't, don't give up on it. Reform it. Change it. And the same with God. When God lets you down or you don't understand, don't abandon God. Be faithful to him. And this is the core of his teaching. And um, we get this. We get this teacher and healer dynamic, and it co comes together. And it's like, unlike any other political leader or prophet that we know, Jesus has this compassion about him and this kindness. I mean, even think of his cousin, John the Baptist. That dude wasn't a nice guy. He was like, the axe is at the root of the trees. God is going to kill you if you don't repent. And think of the old prophets. I mean, the old prophets were fiery, fire-mouthed people who were just raging all the time. You think of any political leaders that Jesus knew, and political leaders in our day, we kind of can trust them, but kind of can't. But unlike any of these, and this is where we, where we have to understand on the cross, Jesus is here to confront power, and he's not just going to let it bowl over him. He's going to confront power. But he's also marked by this compassion and kindness. And remember this. Remember the, what he taught here. Are you having a real struggle? This is Jesus' words. Are you having a real struggle? Come to me. Are you carrying a big load on your back? Come to me. I will give you a rest. Pick up my yoke and put it on. Take the lessons from me. And here it is. My heart is gentle, not arrogant. This is, I mean, this is what begins to put him and set him apart from every other human leader. And it makes his friends start to go, this is something like we've never experienced. You'll find the rest in me you deeply need. My yoke is easy to wear. My load is easy to bear. So here it is. He's not just another inspirational leader that's going to get killed. But he's like, you found, you finally found the deepest lover you ever hoped for. I mean, think about that. For those who've dated and, and been married, you know the struggle it is to be married and date another human being. It's less like that and more like, oh my gosh, like, this person completes me. They get me. I'm like, I, there's, there's, there's like no one else that I would rather be around because I feel finally myself and, and completely safe. Or he's like, I mean, this gets cheaper than that, but it's like, and maybe for me because we're, even I are always 
you know, longing for the day that we can have our, a house and it can be our own. And we, it's like, and I'm always on Kijiji sort of looking. And it's like, oh my gosh, I found the perfect place to live. It's got the, just the right amount of land. It's just got, it's got like, the house is just the right size. It's, just, it's the place I've always wanted. It's like, there's nothing else in the universe that can be better than this. And this his friends start saying these things. He's like, if, if we lose him, if we ever lost him, it would be the greatest loss in all the universe. This is what we have to remember and think about. And not just this, not that, not that he finally makes sense of their lives and sense of everything around them, but he, he taught them how to be joyful, how to have real joy in the midst of suffering. In the midst of their hardest heartaches, he's like, here, let me teach you to be joyful. And that's what his whole birth story is about, really. People whose lives get seemingly turned completely around and upside down by God's work in it. And they find joy in it. And ultimately, he, he kind of thrilled them, right? He thrilled them with a sense of destiny. Not only do I complete you and I can teach you to be joyful in the midst of all your pain, but you're going to join me. And, and it's going to be the biggest story ever. And we're going to take all evil out of this world and make it right. Can you see how amazing this guy was to them? So as he's hanging on the cross, let's remember who's hanging there. Who, who, who's, the, who's the person that did all this work and all this ministry, and he's hanging there? And that's where, as, as we remember that, then we have to remember that his death is not just confusing, weird experience, but somehow his death is for us. And that's as we ponder his death over year after year, time and time again. That's where we go into. We go into the front door of this idea. His death is somehow for us. Not just a random, it's for us. What does that mean? How does that work out? So here we go. Let's, let's start back at the triumphal entry, and then we'll work our way asking, our, asking this question. Yeah, here's, here's his, hold on. Yeah. Woo. Here's his death. We'll get to this. He's, somehow, this person, this particular person is dying for us. Okay, so here he comes into Jerusalem. And I started here, actually. Do you remember the very first sermon? This is because it's such a crucial event in his life. The very first sermon I preached this in September was Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, and and uh, and here's why. Uh, Jesus chose a particular time to do a particular act. He chose the Passover. All these people here are in Jerusalem remembering the Exodus, remembering that God freed his people from Egypt and from the powers of an evil slave master. And he did it with amazing power and, and completeness. And every year for thousands of years up to this point, Jesus' people would remember and pray, God, do it again. God, you did it once, do it again. Can you imagine praying that prayer for thousands of years? God, you freed us once, free us again. And so this is the great festival of Passover, and he chooses this, this time particularly um, where in all of his ministry, he's been confronting the dark powers of the universe, Satan, 
demons. The dark powers of the universe are against him, and they're drawing the religious leaders of his day to be against him and hostile to him as well. And so think about this. A particular time where everyone's remembering God's powerful act, freeing, him from, freeing them from the darkest of evils, and Jesus says, this is, this is me. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm going to be doing. And he comes in on a donkey, which symbolizes his ultimate kingship. He's the ruler of it all. And then he goes a bit berserk. He comes into the temple, the very place where God's presence should live and be treated as holy. And he starts um, driving out the people who had turned uh, his, God's place of prayer into a place of profit. And... Uh, it's good, to, it's good to remember that Jesus doesn't harm any people or anything here. He flips over tables and whips sheep and, and cattle out. No human is injured here. Uh, this is, uh, you know, I, sometimes I think, what of someone coming into the megachurch and the Starbucks kiosk is there, you know, and this is a place of prayer. I don't know. So if someone ever did that in like a big megachurch, then I'd be like, Maybe it's cool. I don't know. Um, so he comes in. He cleanses out the, the temple. And then he spends a lot of time teaching about his authority, about money, about the end of all things in his last week. And then he holds this Passover supper. And we talked about this. I guess talked about this last time. Where he starts talking about his, um, his death. Um, my body is going to be broken for you. My blood is going to be shed for you. And this is where Satan comes and enters Jesus. And we see just how complex the forces of evil are. Not just Satan just doesn't come in and oppose him there. He comes into one of his closest friends and begins to work kind of behind the scenes, so to speak. And so Judas comes and leads an armed crowd to Jesus, like people with clubs and sticks. Um, the high priest, the religious leaders of the day um, send these folks out. And Jesus gets arrested in this garden and kind of talks about, he tells his followers, like, guys, don't resist this. This is going to be a fulfillment. This is, this is God's plan. Um, one of his followers didn't understand and took out a sword and cut off an ear. And Jesus is like, put away your sword. My father is involved with all of this. And we see that faithfulness that Jesus invites us into. When things don't go like we think they are and they get all mixed up and we're very confused about how God could possibly be working through a horrific experience, Jesus, in his moment of suffering, remembers that his father is involved. So he gets led. Jesus gets led to the Jewish leader, the, the high priest, and uh, Simon Peter follows him. You know, his, one of his closest friends follows him and looks on from a distance. And um, all along, Peter just denies that he knows Jesus. It's like it's a cold scene, a cold setting, because there's a fire in the courtyard there. And G Peter's warming, themselves, warming himself there. And, um, and you get this sort of contrast. Uh, a servant girl, the most, in, their, in that day and age, the most powerless individual comes up to Peter and is like, I know you, you're his follower. And he's like, he can't, he can't stay faithful to Jesus. He's like, I don't know the guy. Um, and here, on the other hand, just feet away, on the other side of a wall is Jesus with the greatest religious leader of his, their day, the greatest authority, standing up with courageously. And, you know, this, this idea of Jesus dying for us, I think, begins here. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but when I cross the border or when I come see a police car behind me, I always get nervous. Like the authorities of this world are scary. Not because of the people, but because of their authority. Um, And what do we want to do with authorities, right? We want to please them. We want to please our parents. We want to please the people in authority. We We want to make them pleased with us. And Jesus, we know, wanted this from the religious leaders too. But here he was. I mean, what he was about to do should have pleased the religious leaders to no end. But here he was being shamed and bound and taken to jail by the people who he probably wanted to to love him the most. And this Jesus, in dying for us, he takes that on. For anyone who's ever been shamed or beaten down by people in authority who should have loved you and should have delighted in you, but instead bound you, Jesus is right with you in that experience. Jesus knows what that's like. His death is for us. So these religious leaders end up taking him before an even stronger authority, Pilate, the, the person in charge, the Roman in charge of overseeing the land of Israel uh, from the Caesar. And so Jesus gets led before the greatest authority in the land, and he asks, are you actually a king? Are you actually a, a, the king of the Jews? And Jesus doesn't really answer him straightly. And then Pilate ultimately says, there's no fault in this guy. He's done nothing wrong. And yet, uh, there's a custom at this point. Um, his, his custom was to, uh, I don't have a picture. Oh, yeah. His custom was to um, free someone who was actually guilty um, and give the, give the people uh, one of their convicts back. And so he asks the people, should I free this Jesus who I found innocent? Or should, on the other hand, Let's imagine that this guy here is Barabbas, this guy who, who actually had killed people, actually um, wasn't in jail for being guilty. And um, choose Barabbas, free Barabbas, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus. And so Pilate washes his hands and said, this is your decision. Again, his own people who should have loved him and followed him is the very people who should have been uh, following him. Uh, choose him to die and we ask the question, how is, this, how is Jesus' death for us? And for anyone who's, um, anyone who's ever been wrongly convicted or wrongly um, shamed in this world, Jesus understands what that feels like. And yet for the, for the rest of us, and the rest of us who know that, you know what, if, if the authorities had been paying attention to the things that I've done or the things that I tend to do, I'm not. I'm not free from, from guilt. Jesus begins, we realize he begins to stand in our place. We, we become Barabbas. We become the one who should experience the pain and the retribution of those we hurt. But Jesus is like, no, I've got you. I'm going to take this on for you. And so Jesus gets led away. Um, and I can't quite see this picture well here. He's got a crown of thorns and the people are beating and mocking him. You know, and I think, oh yeah, I've got this. Then the soldiers led him to the courtyard of the palace. It is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole cohort, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, which means he, they're mocking him now. Oh, you're such a king. Now you're in chains. We're mocking you. 
And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him and they began saluting him. Hail, King of the Jews. They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him, and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. They let him out to crucify him. Have you been mocked? In your life, have you, have you been bruised by actual violence? Has someone come against you in a violent way that's left you not only physically bruised, but bruised deep inside? Um, mocked in a way that, um, that takes everything that is right and true in you and replaces it with question marks and pain. Jesus goes through this for you and understands what that's like. So then the the guards divided his clothes and cast lots for it. And then there was um, something that they put above his head. I guess we'll read it out. They brought Jesus Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they'd offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. We we know from from history that the, the Romans crucified tens of thousands of Jewish people. This is... Not a new thing. And we, we get also the sense that above each of them was their crime that they had committed. It's like their crime put above their heads. And uh, this was Jesus' crime, claiming to be the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. So here we come to it. This guy we've been following for many months, listening to his healings and his teachings, and drawing closer to him is now on the, de- uh, the doorstep of his own death. Uh, and it's not just a death that has no meaning in it. It's a death that is for us. He not only identifies with us in all of the, the, the some of the hardest pain in all of the universe, um, but now he's finally showing us ultimately what selfless love looks like. Because he's wanting this for us, right? He's wanting us to be people who get transformed into selfless love. And instead of just teaching that in theory, now he's showing this what it looks like. And so as we ask the question, how is Jesus's death for us? Part of the answer to this question is found in this idea of his ultimate selfless love. You, he, he told, he's told this story in John. The, the book of John tells the story. Jesus says, predicts, I will be lifted up and all humans will come to me. So Jesus' death is for everyone, for the whole world, the whole human race. Uh, and this goes way back to Moses when Moses and the Israelites were in the desert. They started getting bit, bitten by snakes and the poison was going through them. And the way God solved this was having Moses take a, and make a bronze snake and holding it up on a pole. Like all the scientists in here are like, how does this work? 
a bronze snake on a pole, and if they looked at the snake, then they wouldn't die from the snake bite. You see this? This is Jesus like, I am, that is me. I'm dying for you. And anyone who looks upon me, and anyone who embraces me in this, in this moment, in this position, you, the, the, the snake bites that you've received won't affect you. You will, be, you will live. Uh, and this is, this is where we see the power of Satan and the power of, of the enemy over all creation gets broken here, broken in the cross. How is it for us? He defeats the powers of sin and death that enslave us, that have bitten us, that have poisoned us. And now we look upon Jesus and we embrace him and we're freed. We're freed from the powers of evil and death. But even more than this, if this goes deeper, and, and we see this as, as this picture doesn't portray the guys on his right and left, one of them starts to mock him. Jesus, you saved so many, save us. But the other has a completely different response. Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And, and the, the last thing that the other, uh, as, as one was mocking Jesus, the other one's talked to the, across Jesus, the other one says, don't you understand that we're guilty? We deserve this, but he's innocent. He doesn't. And this second brigand, or whatever you call him, the second person on the cross, sees the fact that Jesus' death is somehow for us. His innocence takes our guilt, the place of it. And however you see that, however you look at that, uh, we can't forget in our own life that we, we, don't, we don't deserve life after all that we've done. We don't, we don't deserve, we, we deserve a harsh punishment, but Jesus stands in the place for it if we can embrace him. And finally, how is Jesus' death for us? He told us and taught us in his life to forgive and to reconcile and to show love for enemies. And, and he's showing us now, this is, this is an ex- the, the, the most uh, profound example of what it, it looks like for each and every one of us in our lives to love those who hate us and persecute those, who per- or to pray for those who persecute us. Um, we, we need freedom from that, don't we? We need to know what it is to, to ultimately to forgive and not hold things against people and not be hostile for them. And Jesus says, you know what? Uh, on the cross, he's able even to look down at the people who are killing him and saying, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. And that becomes the prayer of every follower of Jesus' heart. When someone wrongs you, and someone sins against you, when someone wounds you deeply, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus redefines power, redefines it as self-denial. His death teaches us this. He's willing to go all the way to show us what this looks like. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, so what? How do we respond to this, right? This is like, like I said in, in earlier in a prayer, like this is the darkest moment in all of history, and yet it's a light that's too bright to look into. And we have a whole week here to try, again, to ponder the brightness of this moment. Um, and I've come up with these ideas with the baptismal spirituality. How do we respond to this? We don't just sort of look away. We don't, we don't just go, well, too bad for Jesus. Not, sorry, that happened to you. There's something much 
more profound. Uh, and I've put it in these type of words. Rather than being lulled over and over again by the consumerism in our life, we need to stay awake to Jesus' hard path of service and care. We look upon Jesus dying for us and remember, this is what my life needs to look like. Take up your cross and follow me. Rather than being choked by discontentment over and over again, this is a practical guide to hope. So discontentment that can ruin our lives and the hope that is in the cross. Um, it teaches us this. Rather than perpetuating rejection and relational hurt, learning how to forgive deeply. What's the proper response to the cross? Learning how to forgive like Jesus does. What's the proper response to the cross? Learning how to put our treasures and our identities in God so that our relationships can have a greater freedom. We tend too much to put our hope in each other, right? Um, Rather than asking the question, why me? What did I do wrong? Does God hate me? Learning to interpret life in the light of God's plan to undo sin and evil. How do we respond to the cross? We join Jesus in his faith in God, working out all things for good. Rather than settling for lower forms of selfish love, learning to love profoundly. And being on a path of self-improvement that goes far beyond self-help to a type of transformation that only devotion to God who gave his son for us on the cross can give us access to. That's a lot of words. Um, all that the question is this. We look upon Jesus and what he was willing to go through and we stare at the tomb that he was then, after he died, was put into. We stare at the closed door of the tomb and we have to ask ourselves, what do we do? How do we respond? And the only proper response is this. Open our hearts to Jesus and receive the death that he died for us. And then to be steadfastly willing to change our life and align it to his way. That's the, that's the proper response. Accepting, accepting what he's done for us, not rejecting it, not saying, look, thanks, but no thanks. And then recognizing what this means for our life and being willing to change and to follow his, his ways. Um, a couple action points today as, as we go forth. Um, this Friday at 6 o'clock, there's a Good Friday service here at church. It's kid-friendly. There'll be activities for kids to do in here. But it's also, it'll also be contemplative. It'll also be a chance for us to ponder uh, for the last time this year his death and how it's the death for us. And then we, then we get to Easter and it becomes the, it's our biggest party of the year because we realize that all this pain and all this hurt and all this hard teaching comes to something, a resolution, a final resolution. I was, you know, I was just thinking this morning of, of the many things in my life which have seemed like disappointments and discontents and the, the dreams that I've had for myself not coming to fulfillment. I mean, there's handfuls of things that if I were to be completely vulnerable, I'd say, look, like, there are things in my life that I slip into discontentment and sadness quite regularly. Uh, but I've been at this now for uh, coming on two decades. And I'm, what I've realized is that uh, my dreams for myself are so much smaller than God's dreams for me. And what I mean by that is he's freed me in ways from things that I wouldn't have necessarily wanted to be freed from. Uh, because they, were, they felt good. 
but he's freed me from them. And now, and now there's a freedom that comes in the cross that's, and the resurrection that's so profound. And there are things which have, um, I didn't even know were broken in me, that have now been transformed and brought to wholeness. And there's a peace and a contentment that I didn't even know was possible in this life. It's taken many years to figure this out and for God to work on me. Um, but the cross and the tomb, even though they feel like everything in you is dying, has a resolution. It brings you to true life. And so uh, come on Good Friday, ponder again, get on the inside of this experience of Jesus, be transformed by it, read your scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell this story. Go find one of those books and spend the week and journal through Jesus' last week in death. See what God says to you. What, what, what does he say to you this Easter and this, this passion season? Um, and uh, get ready for a party on, uh, on Easter Day. Um, I wonder, I wonder even just a week from now, I wonder what would be just different in your life, just that much more changed. If you open your, maybe some of you haven't opened your heart to Jesus' gift for you. Um, maybe this is the time and the moment to do it. Maybe you, maybe it doesn't fully make sense to you, but there's something unexplainable that makes sense about this great king saying, look, I'm, I'm going to go through hell and back to keep you alive for you. Maybe something about that makes sense to you. Well, come up here and, and dip the, the bread into the juice and receive God's gift for you for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Or maybe for you it's, a, you know, I, there's these things in my life where I do, I do like them, I don't want to give them up, but I know, God, that they just ruin me and ruin other people. Find freedom in the cross once again. Um, or maybe your prayer today is something completely different. I don't know. What, what has God said to you today? Uh, the chance, the final chance here is to remember. He tells us to remember week in and week out. Remember that my body is broken for you and that my blood is shed for you. This is the chance to take some bread and dip it into the juice to, for these symbols to, to, to work upon you. You take the body in and the the juice in, and you pray, pray whatever prayer is on your heart that brings you closer to God. That's what we do. That's why we do this. Um, but this is, of all days, of all weeks, um, this is a great time, and you're invited to um, come and to remember once again what he's done for you. So the table is set here, friends, and everybody is welcome. <laughs>